Podcast. The Gospel according to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. All right, I welcome you back. It is that time to dig back into the Word of God, so get settled in your seats and the babies are dismissed. And we're headed to Matthew 21. Remember, we are back in uh, Passion Week for the season upon us, and then after Easter we'll be headed back to our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. Uh, Now let's ask the Lord for His help. And Father, that's the reason we pray We need help. God, we're weak. Our minds are so distracted and cluttered up with a lot of stuff that's not helpful, especially when we're trying to hear from God and the truth that can set us free and change our lives. God, you've ordained our footsteps and everybody who's supposed to be here is here. And now for this word, a strong word, but a freeing word, a blessing, God, refreshment to us always to hear the truth, whether or not uh, it's a truth that is hard to uh, implement. But we pray that you'd give us ears to hear and heart that understands. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. I ordered something on Amazon last Christmas time, and it was quite the disappointing experience. I gotta say, what showed up at my door was nothing like the product advertised. It was a cheap and useless imitation. Had to start from scratch. And how about those hotels? They kind of do the same sort of thing. They get a lot of help from Photoshop. (laughs) And you pull in the parking lot and you're like, this isn't the hotel, it can't be the hotel. No, they make themselves look better than they really are. False advertising at its finest. Don't you hate that? Man, you just feel so taken advantage of. And you're not the only one who dislikes that kind of thing. The Lord is not a big fan either, especially when the false advertising involves him and his reputation uh, being done by the ones who are misrepresenting him, who claim to know him. So we're going to take a little look uh, this morning at God's displeasure of that very thing. And uh, it's Tuesday of Passion Week, as I said. And why we call it Passion Week is because the Lord didn't drag his heels. It was his idea to go to the cross, and it was a burning passion. And that is why it's called that. Uh, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross 
the joy of knowing it was our only chance of being saved. And so he took delight in that while despising the shame and the agony, of course. And so it's Jesus and the Twelve. It's their third and final visit to Jerusalem because in three days on Friday at 3 p.m., sins will be paid for. Um, and sins will be no more, and whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So let's get situated here during these last few days of Holy Week, as it's also called. Jesus and the disciples are spending time there in the temple doing God's work, which is primarily uh, teaching the word of God, preaching the good news. And the miracles that will be done there will validate the claims, the uh, wonderful claims that he is equal to God in every way and that came to give us forgiveness and eternal life. And the crowds are hanging on his every word. So you can picture that. There And at the same time as ministering in the temple those days, um, he's also confronting the religious fakers, the corrupt authorities uh, who are hostile and have dogged his every step along the way. And what he's doing is exposing them and rebuking them and humiliating them and silencing them. They'll come up and try to trip them up, as we'll see in future uh, days. Uh, And he just, by his divine wisdom, uh, just leads them into a corner where they have nothing to say. And that's really what ultimately inspires them in a few days from then to arrest him and to put him under trial and then hand him over to the Roman authorities, Pilate, and have him executed, which, of course, was God's plan before the foundation of the world. He came to die. He was born into this world to be an offering for sin. And he will use their wickedness and hold them accountable at the same time. These guys got the long robes and the pious prayers and they're professing to know God, but it's false advertising. Their hearts are corrupt. They're self-centered. Jesus called them pretty coffins. He said, you guys are all beautiful on the outside, ornate and decorated, but inside you're filled with death and decay. So here we are, Tuesday, sun's up. They're coming down the hill. They've been staying as it appears. Uh, Mary and Martha, famous sisters in the Bible from Luke chapter 10, note takers. And they have an even more famous brother, Lazarus, who Jesus has just recently raised from the dead, John chapter 11. They're headed down the hill. It's only a mile or two down from the top of Mount Olives all the way to the gate, the eastern gate there of the city and of the great temple where they're about to start for the third day in a row, actually, um, taking care of the Father's business, as Jesus liked to call it. And as we've seen, some of the Father's business is not for the faint of heart. And it's true once again here now as the text comes before you. Verse 18 and following. Early in the morning Tuesday, as he was on his way back to the city, Jerusalem, Jesus was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it but found nothing on it except big green leaves. (laughs) Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. 
Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly? They asked. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and don't doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. <laughs> and I've told first service, I don't know which is more amazing. The miracle, the cursing of the fig tree, and then seeing it wither, or these words promising us this boldness, this confidence that we have Uh, these big, wonderful things when we ask in faith. And so we're going to take a look at these verses here. They divide quite nicely, as I like to say. Uh, Note takers, number one, the dramatic miracle. The first couple verses there, the dramatic miracle. And uh, second point, with an even more dramatic promise. Verses 20 to 22. Okay, so the miracle, which is called by many the cursing of the fig tree, I prefer to call it the blessing of the fig tree because really, what is Jesus doing? He's exposing the tree for what it is, a fake. And of course, there's a larger truth here. This isn't a story about a fig tree. Of course, as most of you know, and not only is he exposing the tree for being a fake tree, he's protecting others from being misled by it. And so there are some big uh, symbolism uh, going on here. And so it's also been called a, a living parable. And we could put those verses up there as we dig in now. A living parable, a parable is like a, this a little analogy from everyday life that makes a spiritual point. So Jesus would say the parable is like, think of heaven like a woman baking bread. And she puts a little yeast in and it starts little, but then it takes over the place. You know, which is a great truth about when the gospel comes into the right heart. It's like a little yeast. It starts out really small, but boom, takes over the whole life. You see, so this is called a living parable where he is teaching through the miracle. And I'm just going to tell you what he's teaching because it's not about some uh, diseased, disabled fig tree. It's a sobering parable about religious hypocrisy and how much God hates it and the inevitable consequences of falsely saying you're one thing when you're not, especially when it concerns the Lord. And so Uh, He opposes it, and so calling out the corrupt leaders, who will really be the fig tree in question without the fruit, is really calling out the pretend uh, leaders, really, and uh, who profess to know the Lord, but by their actions they deny him, you know? Their lips say one thing, but their lives say something very different. The bottom line, of course, as commentator Leon Morris, love him, he wrote, The fig tree, with its big green leaves, gave promise of fruit, but produced none. As a result, it withers away under the displeasure of God that those who represent the Lord can be adequately warned. You see, we don't produce fruit to become a Christian. We don't produce fruit, good behavior, good words, fruit godliness coming from our lives so that we can please God and go to heaven. 
No, that's in evidence that we've received the Holy Spirit and by faith and grace alone. And evidence that we truly have the sap of God is that we have fruit that lines up with the character of God, which these guys knew nothing about. And so what did the Lord say? He said, watch out those guys. Watch out for those guys, those fakers. He goes, you'll know who they are by their fruit. Meaning, you know, and I have mentioned this before, there's a fruit tree outside our window, the kitchen, and it's in full bloom right now. You could say, well, what kind of fruit tree is that? Because a lot of them in bloom look the same to me anyway. And uh, I could say to you, we'll come back in three or four months and you'll find out, right? Because an apple tree will produce apples and then by the apples you go, oh, it's an apple tree. Well, a Christian planting of the Lord, as we're called, will develop fruit in keeping with the one who planted it and designed it to be a planting of the Lord. So the fruit needs to be in keeping with the character of the Lord. (laughs) To have no fruit, none, zero, that's not a good sign. And more than that, and this parable doesn't cover this, but the the Pharisees had... (laughs) Not just no fruit, they had poisonous fruit. Man, it was bad stuff. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to talk about fig trees, because fig trees, to understand the fig tree is going to give you a bigger, more full impact of this living parable. You've got to know something about fig trees and, and how fig trees are associated with, what they're associated with in the scriptures, especially the Old Testament. How they're portrayed in the Bible, the fig tree, and how a healthy fig tree might actually look a little bit like you and me as plantings of the Lord. I'm getting that plantings of the Lord from Isaiah 61 and verse 3 where he says, you, my people, are, are oaks of righteousness. Speaking of the strength and the moral goodness of God's people that he put in us. We can't manifest that moral goodness on our own. And he causes the planting of the Lord there. But here, figs. How, how can we think of the fig tree as how God would consider us his people? Well, uh, number one, much to people's delight, uh, uh, the fig was so refreshing and sweet. And it just brought that kind of refreshment. And they're prolific. They're all over the place in Israel. And they're just useful. They're useful. Uh, fig, if we just talk about the fruit itself, I've got a picture of them, just a bunch of purple figs there. You know, uh, just uh, how many of you, are, you, you like figs? You're a fan of figs, right? The rest of you can be excused to get a bagel bite. (laughs) But we have fig preserves for those bagels because I love figs as well. And so now uh, you can make them into preserves, chutneys and desserts, pies, cakes, breads, and the like, sauces. They're used in salads and meat dishes. I'm going to make you all hungry right now. Even they had medicinal purposes there in ancient times. And so thank you for that picture. Here in California, everywhere you turn, you see lemons or oranges. In Israel, it's figs and dates. And it's not just a land that flowed with milk and honey. Here's what God says about the promised land. And he's going to throw in the fig tree. 
Deuteronomy 8.8 says, the promised land is the land of wheat and barley. I think I have that slide. Uh, Of vines and fig trees. Of pomegranates and olive trees and honey. So to get the feeling of what God wants to associate with the fig tree there is the blessing and favor of God. The idea of abundance and sweetness and refreshment. It's going to be everywhere, just like the people of God bring that kind of refreshment and that kind of sweetness to a very bitter world, cursed by sin and lawlessness and corruption. But God has got his plants in there that bring sweetness and refreshment. I just love that. Now, also, furthermore, there's other ways the Bible associates figs. Uh, he, he says in Isaiah 36, I got a slide with both of the scriptures on it. Make your peace with me, says the Lord. Each one of you will eat of his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink water from your own well. And then in Micah, he says, every man shall sit under his vine. Speaking of the millennial kingdom, when the, when the Messiah is reigning, the future hope, and under his own fig tree, there shall be none to make them afraid. And you're sitting under the shade of your own fig tree. What's the association here? The fig tree is a symbol of peace and security, a time when God is ruling and reigning on a world that that is very much as he intended it, where righteousness and goodness dwell. The Lord is reigning and all threats are vanquished. This is what's associated with the fig tree, a day when there is no reason to fear because all evil's been taken care of. And as a planting of the Lord, fruitfulness of our lives, the people of God fill people with hope of the things to come, a time when there will be no more war and uh, dictators and evil people that cause millions of people grief. Those days will be over. And in that day, the fig tree there, see the association there. So in short, the fig tree is associated with sweetness and refreshment, joy in life, prosperity from God, favor from God, freedom from fear and oppression. We need as God's fig trees to stop complaining and start explaining what's coming, that things aren't falling apart, they're falling into place. And a new day is coming, a renewed earth with Jesus on the throne. The one who spoke and made the earth will be seated and visible to all and there shall be no war and nobody's going to be afraid of anything in that day. And that's associated with the fig tree where the guys in the temple spread in that kind of fragrance. No, they weren't. Now, uh, they provide shade as well. Let's just keep at this because I think it's beautiful. I got two pictures of the shade that these things, they're just, the people like to gather under them in the Middle East, especially uh, the second picture there. Remember when Philip brought Nathaniel to Jesus and as they meet, Jesus compliments Nathaniel before they even speak. And says, now here's a guy with a lot of character. And Nathaniel says, Rabbi, have we met? 
And he goes, have we met? Before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Now, tradition and scholars say that the the fig tree was the place the Jews found uh, a less time of siesta so much as a time of reflection. And they would bring their little scrolls. They'd sit in the cool of its shade and branches and reflect and pray. And the Lord was telling him, you know, when you were praying, I heard you and I saw you. That's what he just blew his mind. But there it is. Those who know the Lord, if we're going to continue to, with the analogy of being his planting, are like the fig that produce shade. We provide shade and God in the midst of his congregation has thrown off up an awning right now that you haven't thought about the war and all of the anxieties of your life because you're wrapped up in being encouraged by singing the songs and feeling his presence and knowing there's a God in heaven. He loves me and he's on the throne and he's sovereign and he's in charge, not these demagogues in the world. Because there's shade here. All through the pandemic, there was shade here. The authorities wanted us to take down the awning and let everybody be scorched to death by the madness and heat of this world beating down on our heads like that. And some pastors said, no can do. The people of God need the shade the awning, to come under his wings as it were, to dwell under the safety of the almighty God, Psalm 91 and verses 1 and 2. And so this is what we're called to do. Were the Pharisees (laughs) throwing up shade for people? No. They were adding to the heat, beating down on their heads. Because when people came looking for shade, they took out (laughs) the blowtorches turned relationship with God into a nightmare of rules and regulations. That's not shading people with grace. I have written down here, is there a lot of shade that you provide or do you add to people's burdens? We're not supposed to if we're good figs. Uh, And so... Yeah, just the opposite there. Uh, One thing that you do want to see for sure is that this very unique feature, so most trees, they start with the leaves and and, and produce the fruit. This kind of fig, it starts with the fruit. The fruit buds first and then the leaves follow. So to have leaves at all, and it says in the Greek, it was in leaf. It means it was a physical impossibility for it not to have the figs. The leaves were advertising figs here. And with every leaf, it was a lie. I'm a fig tree. I'm a fig tree. I'm a fig tree. I'm a fig tree. I got figs. I got figs. Come and get refreshed and nourished in your soul if we take the analogy off the way. It read, luscious fig tree here, step right up and help yourself. Maybe you're traveling. Maybe you missed breakfast, Jesus. Maybe you're hungry. I'm here for you. You created me to be a blessing to you in the moment, to satisfy that ache inside of you, Jesus. And come on. Come, here it is. I'm telling you, I got what you created me to be. I'm a fig tree. Look at my leaves. Yeah. 
And Jesus gets to the tree, pokes around under all the claims and all the bumper stickers and all the Christian t-shirts and all of the big fancy, look at me, I'm a Christian and I don't do this and I do that. And what does he get? He gets nothing. And I can see him under <laughs> poking through those big showy leaves. Did he say under his breath, thinking about the fakers in the temple, just up, you know, what is it, 100 yards to the temple? Did he say as he's looking for the fruit, just like this tree, those hypocrites in there, all leaves and no fruit. Big leaves, long robes, big tassels, phylacteries, where they wore a scripture on their forehead because the Lord said, keep this in your mind, and they misunderstood that. So they still to this day put a scripture, the scripture in a little box and tape it to their foreheads. And the longer your tassels, the longer your prayers. And so they didn't pray, but they made their tassels really long. And he said, you guys are just like this tree and you're going to end up like it. Because God's going to take a look at that. He's going to come inspecting the tree that he made that claims to know him and say, where's the fruit? Where is it? And then what's going to happen? You know, well, what does God expect? If we go beyond the luscious little fruit there, we kind of got to figure, we can figure out what he's looking for. But here's what he said in John 15 and then in Matthew 7, some really harsh words. Um, He said, when you produce much fruit, that means words that are Christian, moral character qualities that come from the Holy Spirit. When you behave and sound and react and respond as a Christian you claim to be, then you are my true disciples as opposed to false ones. This brings great glory to to God my Father. Now then, in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about good trees and bad trees. It's a big analogy in the Bible as you can see. A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. Now we're talking lifestyle, we're talking character qualities that earmark your life all the time. This is the way you are. Because every Christian has sin. We have a sin problem. We deal with it every day. It's always popping up here and there. But it does not, it is not, the the character, the bent of our lives. We've been raised to a new life and we have a different lifestyle. Now, but he says, generally speaking, good trees produce good fruit. Bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. If someone who's an alcoholic, who's a drunk, uh, gets saved and becomes a good true, uh, tree, they're not going to go back to that lifestyle. They may have an occasional bad piece of fruit that's different because the Bible says If we say we have no sin, then we're liars. He says, but when we have sin, we turn to God. When that piece of bad fruit comes up, we may have a season of a little bit of blight on the tree, but the character, the desire of that tree is not for the bad fruit, not for the disease, but to produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit, as he knows, he's saying, hey, you guys know, you chop it down, thrown in the fire. Yeah, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions, not just by 
their words. And so, yeah, saved by grace. But Christians do have uh, still a struggle. So uh, don't let that concern you, okay? So what are we talking about when the good tree gives out good fruit? Well, we can stop. start with if the sap of the Holy Spirit's in you, then you will be producing the fruit of the Spirit, which is defined quite nicely there in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You can write several books on those nine qualities there. So if you want to know if you're doing good with the Lord, check under your branches and see if there's a lot of love, joy, peace, long-suffering. And then you can think of Christian fruit as being merciful. Because when a person is merciful, it's treating someone the way they don't deserve to be treated. And we don't do that by nature. (laughs) We have a different kind of fruit that's rotten when we deal with people. It's called revenge and retribution, right? But when you're starting to be merciful, that's that's a fruit, that's a fig that refreshes the hungry Jesus who's come to your tree to be refreshed to see, oh, there's a fruit that is in keeping with the goodness of God that will refresh the guilty person. Mercy, loving God's people, congregating, serving in the fellowship, supporting the work of the Lord, turning the other cheek, loving enemies, going the extra mile, sharing the gospel. He's watching. He goes to the tree and he sees the tree just reaching out to the neighbor or somebody who's an agnostic or an atheist and says, there it is. Luscious fruit. The lips that once cursed are now blessing and and pointing people to to life instead of having eyes of death. Now there's eyes with light and radiance and, and, and now this is a fruit that can be picked and enjoyed by the Lord, you see. So yeah, just this kind of fruit and behavior where to bring sweetness and refreshment and peace and security and all of this. What about the bad trees headed for the sawmill? Uh, well, uh, we, the fruit is obvious. Galatians 5 says the fruit is obvious. And verse 19 when you follow the desires of the sinful nature that, re, re, that survived conversion, you have a sinful nature that's always saying, can, can I, can I, can, can we get back in charge? Can we today? Oh, let me, come on. Right? No, 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 you can't. The Holy Spirit put you down. The fruit is obvious. The fruit is obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, fortune tellers, 1-800-PSYCHIC <laughs> hostility. Just be mean-spirited and cranky. That's not a fruit that belongs to, on the tree of God. Quarreling, bickering, bickering, that kind of person just likes to fight about everything. That's for the other crowd. Jealousy, envy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, me, myself, and I dissension and division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. The list goes on. (laughs) It's not exhaustive. 
Let me tell you again, says Paul, as I've told you before, anyone living that sort of life, do you see that? Not an occasional sin. You living that kind of life, that's your life, you're not going to heaven, plain and simple, because the tree is not good, it's bad. I was standing on a city corner a few years ago, evangelizing, passing out Bibles with a team, and a guy comes out of a bar and walks by us. He's stoned, he's drunk, whatever. But he's got a Christian t-shirt on. Big green leaves. <laughs> I'm a Christian. So I said to him, hey, I see your shirt's a Christian. I'm <laughs> just wondering, I'm just wondering about you. Or, you know, he goes, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. I said, but you're drunk. And he says, I love to party. And he says, your sin any different than my sin? And I said, well, that depends. Because in one regard, no, it isn't. And in another regard, it is very different. Now, if you're a backslider and your heart is to struggle against this and you fell into it, you know, after striving not to, and this is sort of a one-time thing, yeah, our sin is the same. He, we sin and we confess it and we turn from it. But it doesn't sound to me like this is something you're struggling with. It's something that you're abusing God's grace and saying, hey, grace is grace and I like uh, to party and I'm going to party. And I said, if that's the case, either you're backslidden or you're, and the word is unregenerated. Unregenerated means you don't have the power. You haven't been brought to life and if you die unregenerated, you die dead. You die twice. You see, so there is, there is a difference. Believers have a new nature that hate to get drunk, that would do anything to avoid getting drunk. Would say, yeah, I know I can have some wine, but I'm going to abstain. Why? Because I'm a good tree. Good trees don't get drunk. We have new sap. We produce new fruit. It's called self-control. And the only way around <laughs> that old nature that keeps wanting to produce bad fruit is uh, walking in the Holy Spirit. He says, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. By the Spirit, by walking in the Spirit, he says, to the Galatians, same paragraph, he says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the longings of the sinful nature. It's all the spirit and, and our cooperation uh, with him. We can move on. And so he says to the tree, may you never bear fruit again. Powerful. And immediately it's wilted over. Uh, you know, Jesus is patient. So, so factor that into your understanding of what's going on here. How patient was he with this fig in particular? 1,500 years. 1,500 years of second chances. And then there's a line that just said, here's the Messiah. He's done three and a half years of miracles that only God can do. He's fulfilled 300 of your own prophecies in front of your eyes, and you're still saying no? Well, then he says, in 30 years from now, the Romans are going to come in and chop the tree down. 
The stump will be left in the ground and the stump will bud one day. The fig tree will come back to life. Romans chapter 11. The fig tree did not die if we're speaking of Israel, right? And so, look, some of you are like, I can't believe Jesus would just curse a tree like that. You know, terrible. So... If, if that's your feeling, you know, anything God destroys, it needs to be gone. It's a good thing. When, when the tribulation is happening and all hell is breaking loose on the planet, they're singing and rejoicing and praising God in heaven. And so just know this, it's, he's patient and it was a redemptive move. One writer said, in cursing the, the fig tree, it was redemptive. It's often in the withering consequences of our sin that the sinner will have a change of heart, you see. And some of those under great conviction of the Lord in the temple did convert. We have Nicodemus, don't we, as one example. Uh, and so, <clears throat> and another writer said, the, with, the, the, the cursing of the fig tree is really a protective move in the spiritual sense of the meaning. When God judges the fig tree, it can no longer misrepresent anybody like the Lord, <laughs> and nor can it lead others astray. Uh, those trees are cut down, and it's a good thing save somebody from uh, believing somebody who's pointing them in the direction not of heaven uh, but of hell in the name of Jesus. Pointing them in the wrong direction in the name of Jesus. And that happens every day with a gospel called progressive which is not the gospel. If you change the gospel if you change anything from one thing to another thing it's changed, right? It's no longer the thing it was. Right? So if the gospel's the means to save you and you change it, it's no longer what it was. And what it was was the vehicle to save you. So watch out for little tweaks to the gospel to make it more user-friendly and uh, to, to make it easier for you uh, and persecution and all of that. And so yes, the judgment will come, but God's people will come back to life. They're already budding, as it were, 1948. They became a nation again. So after 2,000 years, the fig tree is alive and well, and uh, when he appears, they will uh, receive him 100% before he appears. He appears uh, for them. So let's take a look at, just have time for a summary <laughs> of this beautiful promise uh, there. Verses 20, when the disciples see the tree go down, they are amazed. How did that happen so quickly? They want it. No. And then he says, I tell you the truth, if you think this is cool, this is going to be pretty commonplace, this kind of thing. For those who ask of me and believe, you're going to see big things in the context of this. The kingdom work, the kingdom of God, the advancement of the gospel in you and through you, in you and in the church. That's the context there. So let's move from the unsettling miracle and finish up now with the unparalleled promise, faith in God, 
and the power of prayer. So the question, (laughs) they're missing the point. Uh, They're not filled technically with the Holy Spirit like Acts 2 yet. So they're still kind of uh, trying to catch on. They haven't connected the dots or anything. And the the question gives them away, doesn't it? Uh, You know, (laughs) how did that happen? How did it happen so fast? I could just say Jesus. The same way it's been happening for three and a half years. You know, when I say Lazarus, immediately the dead comes forth. When I say stop it, cease, be quiet, storm. What happened immediately? The wind and the waves. The same way I laid hands on the man who was blind. Remember, I said, receive your sight. And he could count the fingers immediately. Same way. What are the disciples saying? They're saying, "Wow, just where, where, where? Wow, that's amazing. How did that happen?" So instead of saying what I just said, he's going to use their amazement as a teaching tool. He's going to turn it. He's going to say, "Yeah, I see a teaching opportunity here. Oh, you're amazed at this? Oh, this is going to be commonplace. A withered tree? Come on." Through you, faith, believing in God, in 30 years, you guys, under your leadership, not theirs, replacing all of those long-robed dudes with you. And you guys are going to usher in the gospel to the entire Roman Empire built on you guys. So you think you're all, whoa, how did that happen? A tree went over? He goes, oh, you're going to do greater than that? Let's talk about trees being uprooted, the mulberry tree, as it says in Luke's uh, version of another promise, and mountains being moved. Here's what he's saying. Listen up, followers. Big things can happen when you believe in God and pray to him in faith about kingdom work. This isn't about how big your houses or how many boats you can have. Like it's been abused. That's so sad, you know. And so this is meant to give Christians who are in a world that are facing mountains everywhere and say, and God say, just trust me, ask, live the Christian life, and that mountain's going away. So let's talk about kingdom work, building up. Christians, producing character in our lives, uprooting deep-seated sinful problems in our lives, like a mulberry tree that grows roots like that, Uh, becoming mature in faith, godly marriages, raising children in the love and instruction of the Lord. All of these are uh, are monumental tasks in front of us. Uh, to do good works in Jesus' name, to evangelize the lost, to snatch souls out of the fire, to make a difference for God. He says, listen, these are the kinds of things that I just mentioned. He says, you can, believing, walking with God, talking to Him, living the Christian life, you, you can expect God to move heaven and earth in this context. Ask me anything in my name and I will do it. And so three analogies I want to talk about. I have them written out. The three things he says, ask of me in faith, and you can see the fig tree withered. Spencer, do I have that there? The fig tree withered, the mountain removed into the sea, and the mulberry tree. There's just three lines 
with the three things, the fig tree withered, the mountain removed into the sea, and that's okay. We walk by faith, not by sight. We can imagine it. <laughs> All right, that's, that's good. The fig tree withered. Here's what really the lesson is there. The strength of those that oppose you, the fakers, the progressive gospel, the whole world that's fallen in love with a gospel that's not a gospel, those lies are, are going to wither and die because it's not of the truth of God. Uh, the power of God's truth in you and through you will prevail. That's it. That's what he's saying there. So uh, take a heart there. The mountain that will be, pick itself up, first of all, <laughs> there's no New Testament passage that you can point to that reiterates this language of speaking to something and speaking something into existence and speak to things. No, no. The language and the context of, and you can put the, the verses back up for me, the context is believing in prayer. Prayer. So you can wave goodbye or say goodbye to this mountain as you humbly ask me in faith to remove it. That's the New Testament. And then you can, as it were, say goodbye to it. Say, say so long to things that get in your way that God has um, not ordained to be in your way. And so the mountain speaks to poverty and not having enough money and, and weakness and inabilities and a godless government standing in your way mandating all of its mandates, fears and anxieties, and the devil himself. He says the gates of and the power of hell will not prevail against you, Matthew 16. That's what he's saying about the mountain. You don't speak to it. You don't speak to anything. Like little gods, I command you. I speak to you and I speak this and I, uh, that's been so abused. Where is that outside of these words that can be understood clearly as you pray you believe. Now, not even Jesus, full of faith, got every prayer he prayed. Father, if there's any other way, please take this cup and remove it. I'd rather not drink it, but if you want me to, I will. Nevertheless, your will. Full of faith. Did he get what he asked for? No. But yes, he did. He got what he asked for. Nevertheless, your will. So I take these and I, you know, I believe God for things and how they unfold, I accept them as God's will as an answer to my prayer, you see. We align ourselves with God's word, we trust in him, and we leave the rest to him. I like in Luke uh, 17, closing up here, the mulberry tree. He says, you can speak to a mulberry tree famous for its roots, invasive roots, and it will uproot itself. And that's another blessing. He says, ask me about that thing that goes deep. Your damaging family, the way you were raised, your human sexuality, your addictions. Beckett Cook, who I've mentioned a lot, he came out of the gay lifestyle. He was a fashion designer in Hollywood. He went to a party in Paris and he looked around and said, this is death. This is death. And he came back to Los Angeles and he ran into a group of guys having a Bible study and his friends were mocking them and he walked over and said, so, what are you doing? They said, we're reading the Bible. They said, he goes, um, what's the Bible say about homosexuality? 
And he says, well, it's a sin, like a lot of sins, and we struggle with sin too, but it is a sin. And he said, thank God in his heart, because he knew homosexuality wasn't working for him, and he just saw death everywhere. And he wanted, in his testimony, he was hoping they were going to say, God doesn't approve of that, that's not the answer. And he was encouraged to hear that. And he went to church with them, wept in the service, and got saved, and went to seminary. And now he's a speaker, and goes all over the world. And many of you have Googled him and found him. And here's what he said. The mulberry tree of my sexual confusion, deep-rooted to the core, was torn out of me by the hand of the living God and replaced with newness of life, new affections, renewal of mind. And so that's what he's talking about. Let me close with this. Look at your own life. Don't look at that and go, where is that in my life? Are you kidding me? After what you've been through, after the mountains that stood in your way and the trees and the false trees and the, uh, the deeply rooted enigmas in life, and here you get up early and you go to church on a Sunday and you're raising your hands and you're worshiping God still after everything you've gone through? Are you kidding me? The only reason you're here and loving God and still trying to walk on the straight and narrow path is because God himself has taken those mountains and leveled them. He's taken those trees and withered them on your behalf. He's a plucked up those mulberry roots and said nothing is going to stop you. You keep believing. You keep trusting. You keep praying because there's more to come. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this word. We receive it. God, we want you to help us look beneath our big showy leaves to take a good assessment of what's truly being produced there, good or bad, healthy or not, so that you can do some pruning and some digging around and some fertilizing and help us, God, to be who you created us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.